We're talking about spooky Bible stories. And it's because it's Halloween month. And whether or not you believe in celebrating Halloween or that's just not your thing or it's definitely your thing because, hello, candy, or, or not, it doesn't matter. That's not the point. We just figured you can't get away from it because you drove past your neighbor's yard and they had big skeletons and spiders on the side of their house and ghosts and stuff. And you probably saw your streaming service was showcasing like several scary movies. And that's, a, that's an adrenaline rush if you like that kind of stuff, by the way. Uh, roller coasters and scary movies, they're fun. Just terrified, you make your heart race, it's, it's good times. Anyhow, but um, regardless of how you like the scary stuff, it's a great time for us to tell some spooky Bible stories for a couple of weeks. So last week we talked about the monster in the graveyard. If you were with us, we talked about that. That was a pretty scary setup for a story. That's the kind of story you tell at a campfire or in a tent with a flashlight on your face telling everyone about the monster in the graveyard. So that was last week. And honestly, today, today's story, you know, if I, if I would have just done a two-part series, uh, we would have probably not done today's. Not because it's not good, but because the last week's was so good, we wanted to start off with a good one. And next week is my favorite one for this topic. But we wanted to include today because there is an element of spooky story to it. But more importantly, today will kind of be that transitionary out sermon to talk a little bit about the things that really scare us. We'll get to that later. But next week, you don't want to miss the wrap-up. Next week is Halloween. It's October 31st. And on that service, we are actually going to talk about what I think is the spookiest Bible story, in my humble opinion. Now, some stories, when you read them or watch them, some scary stories turn out okay for the main characters in the end or at least some of the main characters, it turns out okay. Other spooky stories or movies, it doesn't turn out okay for the main characters in the end. Next, last week, it turned out okay for the main characters. Today, it's going to turn out okay. But next week, in our final story, it does not turn out so good for the main characters in that story. So come and, 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 and we'll discuss that on October 31st. But for today, we're going to tell another story. We're going to, we're going to tell today about the ghost on the water. The ghost on the water. Now, to background to today's story, a couple things you need to know before we get started. First of all, if you were with us last week, we told that before last week's story, Jesus had just gotten off the boat off of the large lake that they would often cross, or it was sometimes called the sea. This large lake would be kind of like one of our great lakes, a very, very large body of water. And they came across the lake, and a storm came up while they were crossing the water. And they were just doing what Jesus said to do. And they're crossing the water and a storm came. And they were scared to death. And Jesus was asleep. We mentioned this last week. He was asleep. And they said to him, hey, don't you care? Wake up. And he gets up and kind of stretches and yawns and cracks his knuckles. And finally he says, peace be still. And when he says that, the storm just stops and dissipates. And every one of the disciples was, well, they were terrified. They were in awe. They couldn't believe what they just saw, that, that he had such power over the storms that were uh, too big for them. And it was a powerful moment. Well, we mentioned that last week, and I mentioned it again today, because today's story also takes place on the water during a storm. And so I wanted to set the stage. Now, we're going to see today's story is found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to mainly study it in Matthew because Matthew gives us the fullest version of the story. 
but we will step over to the pages of John to notice a couple special details and also step over to Mark for a couple special details. But we'll mainly be in Matthew, so if you want to follow along in your Bibles, we'll be in Matthew chapter 14 predominantly. All the verses will be on the screen in the room or on the screen online. Okay, so... Uh, the backstory to this is, is, is as follows. Right before today's story takes place, Jesus is on the mainland with his disciples, and wherever Jesus went, the crowds tended to come because he would heal the sick, or as we saw last week, he would cast out evil spirits, or he would, feed, he would do miracles, and he would teach about, about God. And people were searching, so they would come to see this miracle worker and hear what he had to say about God because he must have come from God, so they wanted to hear what he had to say. And, and, he would, and people would flock wherever he went. In fact, sometimes they would leave the cities and come to a remote place where he was at just to be near him, to be healed, or to hear what he would say. And in this particular story, the people had come out of the cities to a deserted area and there were just thousands and thousands of people there. Uh, one account tells us that there were 5,000 men. Some people believe that that meant 5,000 people. Others believe that meant 5,000 people plus women and children. Either way you look at it, there were thousands and thousands and thousands of people gathered at the space where Jesus was helping and healing and then teaching and after a long day of teaching about the kingdom of heaven, he realized that these people had found themselves with him away from home, and they had to head back home at the end of, towards the end of the day, and they were hungry, and they, they couldn't just hop in their cars. They had to walk. And, and so he felt that they needed to feed the people, and they didn't have food there, but there was one boy with a small lunch of a few loaves of bread and a few small fish. And Jesus took that little lunch and did the miraculous. He broke it up and told his disciples, take this food as I break it up and give it to the crowds of thousands of people. And that one little lunch fed every single person there. Filled them up and they gathered the leftover food afterwards and there was more leftovers than they started with after feeding thousands of people. It was one of the many miracles that Jesus had done. At the end of this time, Jesus figured it's time to get out of there so he tells his disciples it's time to move. So let's pick up the story in Matthew 14, verse 22. It says, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. Let's not rush past that verse. Let's marinate in that for a minute here. Um, the, the job is done, and Jesus was always trying to go to a new place, and sometimes the people would try to keep him where he was at. So he would just have to go. And in this particular case, and we'll, we see this, by the way, in a different part of the Gospels in this, from this very story, this crowd, just they didn't really want him to ever leave them. Uh, they actually chased him down later on, and they, they just they wanted to make him king right then. They were so impressed. So Jesus is trying to get away. So he says to his disciples, guys, you go down to the boat, and you go ahead and cross over the, the lake to where they were going to go next, which, by the way, was Capernaum. Go over to Capernaum ahead of me. And I'll meet you over there in the city when I'm done. But I'm going to stay behind and send the people away. And here's why. Because if Jesus had gone down to the boat with the disciples, this crowd particularly would have followed them and thronged them and made it hard to leave. 
And so Jesus is like, guys, if you go to the boat, they're not going to follow you. They're going to stay wherever I'm at. So you go ahead and get out of here. I know how to make myself scarce when I need to. You guys, it's a little harder to make myself scarce with the 12 of you. So you go to the boat. He insisted. He insisted. Go to the boat and cross to the other side and wait for me over the lake. And I'll be there when I get there. I'll send the crowd home and I'll make myself gone. He was known to do that too. He could be in a crowd of people and then just kind of walk through them and just be gone. And he was Jesus. So he sends the disciples away. He stays there, disperses the crowd. Verse number 23, after sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. So again, think about this verse. He gets out and says, guys, the party's over. Everyone go home. Some people begin to go home. Others are lingering. Some are waiting to see what he was going to do. But as the party tends to break up, as the crowds begin to dissipate, Jesus just kind of makes himself scarce. He gets out of there. And he goes up into the hills by himself to do what? To pray. To pray. And it says that night fell while he was there alone. So this is what's interesting to me. And whenever I read the stories of Jesus, this thought always amazes me. Every time. When I read the stories of Jesus, I always am amazed that he found it important in his life to get alone with God the Father. I mean, why? Isn't he God the Son? I mean, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, why would the Son of God need to do this? I mean, he is working miracles. He's feeding multitudes. Certainly, he, he, why did he find it so important to get alone time and time again to pray to his, and be with his Father? And I always read that and I think to myself, if Jesus felt the need to get alone in his schedule, if Jesus, of all people, felt the need to get alone and spend time with the Father, Maybe I should and maybe we should too, right? Maybe we should put that in our life as well. And I know what we might say. You may say, well, Arlen, you don't understand. I'm, I'm very busy. I've got a busy life. I've got a big job. I work a lot of hours. I work overtime. I have a side hustle I'm doing over here. I've got a family. i got things. I just don't have time for that. And I understand the tension, but I want to propose to you that Jesus was pretty busy himself. He didn't have a nine-to-five or a clock job somewhere. But he had something worse. He had a job that never stopped. Some of you know what I'm talking about. He had a job that never stopped. He was like always, wherever Jesus went, he never had a moment's peace. He, was, he just didn't have, he couldn't even play his Xbox very often. He was just so busy all the time. He was just going all, and all the time. He couldn't relax. Whenever Jesus went somewhere, he'd walk from city to city, from town to town. That's walking with his disciples teaching and pouring into them as he went. When he'd get someplace, he'd be helping people, healing people, casting out evil spirits, teaching about the kingdom, doing miracles, feeding multitudes. They, they wouldn't leave him alone day and night. So many times in the story of Jesus, the only way he found time to be alone was to do it in the middle of the night, like here. It took him saying, the only way I could take time to pray and be with my father is if I do it while everyone else is asleep because they won't leave me alone during waking hours. Now, that's not because sleep is unimportant. Sleep is very important. We know that. We know that physically. Hopefully we know that. Jesus knew that. That Jesus rested. He, he would take the disciples and say, we need to rest. He was sleeping in the boat during the last storm for crying out loud. 
But, but, but here Jesus, said, who knew sleep was important, also knew that prayer was important. And if you couldn't do it all, sometimes giving up some sleep in order to have time to pray, if necessary, was still worth it because prayer matters. And that should be instructive to us as busy as we are. It might be that we, we don't need to give up sleep time. Maybe we have to decide, you know, i got to carve out some time, eat a little quicker on my lunch break to get some alone time. Maybe I don't need to unwind to so much Netflix or gaming systems or whatever else I might do. That's nothing wrong with those things. But if, if, if I need to do those things because I need that for myself, but I have never have time to talk to God, maybe I need to take some time off of something that I think is important and take time for something that's more important. If Jesus felt it was important, even if it took the middle of the night to find time to pray, certainly all of us should find time in our lives to get with our Heavenly Father and connect for spiritual strength and direction. That was free. That was not the main point of today's story. That was bonus content. Um, I'm not even charging for that, unless I can, in which case I'm definitely charging for that. Okay, anyhow. Um, let's keep going. Matthew 14, verse 24. It says, Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting the heavy waves. Now, I want you to understand that this is the second time the disciples that are in our stories in the Bible have found themselves in the middle of the water fighting against a storm. And arguably in both times, definitely the first time, it, they were just doing what Jesus said, you know? Like, you know, and, and listen, these were, some of the disciples were experienced fishermen, Peter, Andrew, James, and John were fishermen. They probably knew how to handle a boat. But experienced fishermen probably knew that if the weather looked like it was going to get bad, you try not to get yourself stuck out in the middle of the sea very often, right? That's, that's a recipe for disaster. But here they were. They could handle a boat, but it's a bad storm. And it's Jesus was in the one story, he's in the boat with them sleeping. They're like, man, we're just trying to do, we wouldn't even be out here fishing in this kind of uh, climate. But here we're doing what Jesus said to do and we're in the middle of a storm. How does that work out? Right? You ever do the right thing in life? You ever follow Jesus and, you know, do the thing you think you're supposed to do as a person of faith and you find yourself in the middle of a storm? Like, what in the world? Following Jesus never meant there'd be no storms. This old broken world we live in, there's storms. In fact, sometimes following Jesus might actually put you smack dab in the middle of a storm. In the last story, not today's story, he was in the boat. They were literally with him, and a storm came. It's like, what's that about? I thought we're following Jesus. But Jesus never promised no storms. That's not the point. In fact, sometimes he, it brings, it comes with the territory. Who knows? But what's interesting, and by the way, these are experienced fishermen. Not all of them weren't. Nathaniel, Matthew, the tax collector, Judas, the zealots amongst the group. I mean, you know, I don't know that they're all they're not all experienced. Some of the guys are probably land lovers. They're like in the middle of the boat saying, you know, get us to shore. I mean, what are we doing out here? But this time Jesus isn't with them. In fact, we want a really, a really cool twist. You got to leave Matthew. Because John tells us a detail that Matthew doesn't mention. When you put them together, it's interesting. John chapter 6 verse 16 is the same story. It says, that evening, Jesus' disciples went down to the shore to wait for him, 
to wait for him. If you remember the story, Jesus told him, he insisted, go down to the shore, get on the boat, cross the lake, and meet me over there in Capernaum. But they went down the shore to wait for him. Keep reading, verse 17. But as darkness fell, and Jesus still had not come back, they finally, they got in the boat and headed across the lake towards Capernaum. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Can you picture how this went down? They leave the crowd. They get away. Boy, that crowd's crazy over there. Let's get to the boat. Okay, guys, let's go. Wait. Wait, no, not yet. Let's wait for Jesus. We need to wait for Jesus. Jesus told us to get on the boat and cross the lake. Yeah, but you know, it just be nice to wait for him. Well, he, how's he going to get over there? Well, he'll get over there. Really? He'll get, he'll get over there, okay? Let's just do what he said. Yeah, but we should wait. It's kind of a rough crowd. I mean, I don't know. Well, let's just wait a little while. And next thing you know, darkness fell. And they're like, okay, I guess he's not coming. I guess we'll try the, the other plan. We'll get the boat and go across the lake to Capernaum. And so they get in the boat. And by the time they get in the boat and cross the water, they find themselves in the middle of the night, as we're going to see in a minute here, in the middle of the night, in the middle of a storm. And as you read that detail, as you put John and Matthew together, you're thinking, I wonder if they would have missed the entire storm had they just done what Jesus said to do, just get in the boat and cross the lake, I'll meet you over there. They could have spent the storm in Capernaum in an Airbnb. They could have been using their, their, uh, their points at a Holiday Inn Express somewhere, sitting, you know, sitting by the indoor pool. And um, I mean, seriously. And here they are in the middle of the night in a storm because they left after doing a good thing, but not what Jesus told them to do. Now, I want to say that to you, and here's why. Because I wonder who in a room like this, in person or who online, is going through a storm today. You're going through a storm. And I don't know what your storm looks like, but you're going through one. And I want to say this to you. Maybe your storm is like the, the first storm. You're following Jesus. He's there with you. But you're like, where's the storm coming from? But that's just how it goes sometimes. But maybe, just maybe, someone's going through a storm right now. And the storm you're going through, you have some sense of maybe some guilt that you don't know that you can turn to Jesus because you think, well, my storm is my own fault. If I had only done what I was supposed to do, I wouldn't be in the middle of the storm. If you're going through a storm today and you feel like it's a storm of your own making because you did something you shouldn't have done or you didn't do something you should have done or perhaps just along the way you just had a, you had a better idea, it was a good idea, it's a better idea until it wasn't, and all of a sudden you got yourself a mess and you're like, man, what happened? If you're there right now, we've all been there. I want to say something to you. If you're struggling with a storm that you feel you don't have the right to ask for help because you kind of caused part of the problem, it's okay. Jesus can handle those storms too. He loves you. Never let the enemy convince you that because of the kind of storm you found yourself in, you're on your own. You never need to be on your own because your Father loves you. Let's keep reading the story. I want to flip over to Mark, because Mark gives us some color also before we finish back in Matthew. In Mark chapter 6, in verse 47, it says, Late that night, late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. Remember, he was in the hills praying? Verse 48, he saw that they were in serious 
trouble. They were in serious, these are experienced, well, some of them experienced fishermen. Other guys were holding on for dear life. But they were in serious trouble, rowing hard, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. Notice that he saw. That's, that's a Jesus thing right there, by the way. Because you ever been in a storm and you know how bad visibility gets? I'm not talking about a storm. I don't mean a little rainfall. I mean a storm. And you can't see, even in the daytime when a storm comes on, it limits visibility. And they're out there in the middle of the night, in the middle of a storm, and the wind's blowing, the waves are crashing, and they, don't, they, they, don't, they can't see shore. They're trying to get going. They're trying to make it. And over there on the land where Jesus was at, through the storm, he saw that they were in serious trouble. I don't know who needs to hear this today, but it might be you. If you're going through a storm, and it's so heavy and so dark that you can't see past it, and you can't see God in it, just because you can't see doesn't mean that he can't see you. And today, if you feel like no one can see what's going on and you are overwhelmed and it's too dark, your heavenly Father sees today what you can't see. You're not alone. He saw. I love that. He saw that they were in serious trouble. Isn't that great? So what does he do? Matthew 14 and verse 25. About three o'clock in the morning, <laughs> about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. That's a really cool party trick right there. He comes walking on. No one can do this. He's walking on the water. About three o'clock. By the way, can we just notice the time? Like the disciples were like on the boat. Aren't you tired at some point? You're rowing. You can't get, you can't control the sails. You're just like, we can't get across. And, and it can get tiring and exhausting real fast, especially hours later, especially at three in the morning when sensible people are asleep. Can you imagine? Hey, guys, why don't you help? We will know how to operate boats. We'll do something. We, we should have been there. It's your fault. We're, we should have, we could be in the Holiday Inn by now. I mean, who knows what's going on? They're tired. They're exhausted. It's three in the morning for crying out loud. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes toward them, walking on the water. In fact, Mark kind of tells the story that he kind of came at such an angle that it looked like he was going to just walk right past them. And they see him. In fact, verse 26 tells us that when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. Don't judge them. Do not judge them. They were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost! Don't cast judgment you and I would be just as terrified as they are, and you know it. Men, we'd be just as terrified as they were. Look, let's not even pretend. Okay, let's just get, let's just think of this through. Let's suppose that tonight, the weather clears up, it's a beautiful night, no storms, and you take a walk down to Cedar Lake, find a little secluded spot with a lookout area, and you're down by the water just enjoying Cedar Lake and Cedar Lake's always easiest to enjoy in the dark, I noticed. So you're at, the, you're at the side of the lake, it's dark, you're standing there on the shore. Maybe you're with a friend, maybe you're by yourself. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the water, you see the form, the apparition of somebody walking on top of the water. That's the kind of stuff they make scary movies or books about right there. That's the kind of stories you tell somebody. If you were by the water and saw the apparition of some person or something walking on top of the water in front of you, You'd be terrified. In fact, the first, if you were alone especially, or even if you weren't alone, the first thing you'd probably think after realizing what you're looking at is, 
I see them. I hope they don't see me. That's horrifying. Now picture you're in the water. <laughs> you're in the boat in the middle of Cedar Lake. Or let's get bigger. You're in Lake Michigan and you went out for a nighttime fishing expedition. And you're out there and you're going to stay up all night and you're in the middle of the water, far from land. And the stars, there's no storm. The stars are out. The moon's shining. Your moon's shining. I don't know. You're out there and you look out in the middle of the water in that beautiful night and there's the apparition of a person or something walking on the water towards your direction. And you're in this boat in the middle of the water. Come on now. No piousness here. That's terrifying. Now we're going to throw in the storm. Now we're just going to throw the fact that they're in the middle of a storm. They've been rolling. They can't get out. It's three in the morning. They're tired. They're delirious. They're, they're thinking they're going to die. They're in serious trouble, the, the scriptures just said. So you're thinking, is this the end? We're going to drown at sea? And about that time, here is somebody walking on the water near you. I don't know what you're thinking, but I'm thinking, is that, hey, is that what, I, what is that? <laughs> they're coming to claim our souls. Here, we, It's over now, you know. I mean, this is terrifying. So I'm not going to cast any judgment on these guys. The scary, long middle of the night, and there's somebody walking on the water, and they decide it's a ghost. But notice what Jesus does. This, soon as they're, as soon as they see him, as soon as they're afraid, he puts them at ease. In verse 27, I love this. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. That's good stuff. That is a good affirmation. I just happened to, I, just, I believe that there's somebody in our church today, online or in person, and you're going through a storm. We've been talking to you all morning so far. And I don't know what you're facing, but maybe what you need to hear the most right now is the words of Jesus. When he sees the fear in those he loves, immediately hear his voice today. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. It's interesting to me. It's not the absence of the storm that should help us take courage. It's the presence of Jesus. The presence of Jesus, not the absence of the storm, should give us courage today. In fact, we should have more courage with the presence of Jesus in a storm than the absence of him in calm waters. If you're going through a storm today, take courage. Don't be afraid. He is with you. You may not see him. He sees you. Well, let's keep reading. Matthew, but by the way, before I get into this, what happens next is the part that only Matthew shares, which is a fun conversation to have if, if you want to nerd out with me at a different time, why only Matthew tells this part of the story. But anyhow, Matthew tells a part of what happens next that is just interesting. And it explains Peter's personality so much. In verse 28, it says this, Then Peter called out to him, Lord, if it's really you, uh, tell me to come to you walking on the water. What in the world? I mean, Maybe he was scared. Oh, if it's really you, <laughs> help us say him, right? If it's really you, tell me to come on the water. Okay, go ahead. Wait, no, I was joking. I don't know. I don't know what Peter's thinking. But it seems like Peter really wanted to get in that water. Like he's like, there's a storm going on, and Peter's like, whoa, I thought it was a ghost. 
That's, Je that's Jesus. He's walking on the water. Hey, can I try it? I mean, some of you know what I'm, some of you in this room, you're as crazy as Peter. You're the one who's like, hey, y'all, check this out. Watch this. I'm going to do this. I'm, this is going to be my, it might be my last words, but check this out. You know, Peter's like, I want to do that. Can you picture the guys next to Peter? Uh, Peter. Peter, what do you say? Peter, you're saying the wrong words. You're supposed to say, if that's really you, calm the storm. Like, you know, if it's really you, say that fancy, what did you say last time? Uh, peace be still. Yeah, try that one. We can talk about water walking another time, Peter, but there's a storm. But Peter has apparently just drowned out the storm. He's like totally just like, what? He just, he just like, he's walking on water. Can I do that? Can he, did you walk on water? I don't know. Did you walk, I, can I, what kind of shoes, what kind of sandals is he wearing? I want to walk on the water. Hey, Lord, can I do that too? In verse 29, it says, Jesus said to him, yes, come. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. Now, Peter gets a lot of grief in our Bible storytelling. If you've been raised in church, he gets a lot of grief in our Bible storytelling for what happens next. But let's just not be so pious for a minute here, because ain't most of us going to get out of that boat. Even you crazy daredevils among us, we're all going to be like, well, Peter, nice knowing you. Peter was a good fisherman. He was a swimmer. We see other places in the Scripture where Peter swam. We happen to know he was a swimmer. But Peter <laughs> jumps out of this boat in the middle of the storm and just, okay, he said, come, woo. I mean, this guy deserves some credit. Because I'm one of the guys, look, no offense, I'm one of the guys kind of holding on to the rail somewhere or, or, you know, or something. I'm like, okay, have fun with that. But here's what happens. He jumps over the boat, walks on the water to Jesus. He got to do it for a minute. Isn't that incredible? You say, well, that's impossible. You can't walk on water. I know, right? You can't do it. I don't believe that's possible. Well, I know. Like, crazy stuff like a virgin birth, feeding 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread and a few small fish, casting evil spirits out of a demon-possessed man. You know what I'm saying? Like rising from the dead after dying on the cross. I mean, it's just like he's God or something. It's weird, isn't it? So Peter is now walking on the water towards Jesus. How cool. But look what happens in verse 30. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves... He was terrified, and he began to sink. Again, no knocking him. I would have been in the boat still. But as he jumps, I think Peter, if you read the Bible, Peter was the one who kind of spoke first thought afterwards, acted first, figured it out later. That's just how Peter always was. And I think at some point he's like, whoa, he's walking in the water. Can I do that? He jumps out, and then it suddenly hits him, oh, and as soon as he's walking on the water and he hears, suddenly he's distracted because he's watching Jesus and he's doing it, but then he hears the wind and it's howling. And it causes him to take a look. And he sees the waves and they're crashing. And as he begins to look away from the person whose faith he was trusting, who was trusting him by faith, as he begins to look at the storm, legitimate storm around him, as he began to notice the wind and see the waves and see the storm, he began to do what any of us would do. He began to get scared. And as soon as he did, he began to sink. And he yells out, he says, save me, Lord, he shouts. And of course, it's interesting because Jesus immediately does so. Jesus immediately reached out. I mean, he was right there. All of a sudden, he was right there. And he reached out and grabbed him 
And he says, you have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? Don't misunderstand. I don't think Jesus is scolding Peter. You can disagree with me, that's fine. I don't think Jesus is scolding Peter here. I grew up in church culture. I know what it's like. Why did you have so little faith? Look what you did, you little jerk, you know. I know the, the tone we sometimes assign to Jesus in these moments. But that, I don't think that's what he was saying to him. I mean, can you picture that? Why did you have so little faith? I got out of the boat. Can you picture the other disciples? Yeah, Peter. Mr. Little Faith, hold on tight, you know. I mean, seriously. I don't think Jesus is scolding him here. That's my opinion. I think Jesus is looking at Peter and having a teaching moment, a faith-building opportunity, because the day was soon going to come when Jesus was going to die on that cross and rise again and return to glory, when he was going to go to prepare a place for them and one day come again and receive us to himself so that where we, he is, we may be also. He was going to go and leave them behind to do the work. He wouldn't be there. And they'd face a lot of storms, of different types of storms in life. And Jesus had a moment with one of the leaders of the early church, one of the strongest forces of the early movement, the early Jesus movement. And Jesus has a moment with him to look at him and say, hey, why do you have so little faith? You have so little faith. I don't think he's beating him. I think he's saying, hey, remember this. There's going to come a time in your life later on when you need to remember this. Why did you doubt me? Why, why when the storm got bad, it was already bad. Why when you noticed it did you start doubting me? Let me ask you a question today. Where do you find yourself Drowning. Do you feel like you're drowning today? Where is that? Is it a relationship that you're in that's not going well and you're terrified of what's going to happen next? And, and fear is just it's consuming. It's, it's on your thoughts all the time. You don't know how it's going to work out. It's going to break into a thousand pieces and you just don't know that it's possible that you can survive this relationship and you feel like you're drowning. Where are you drowning today? Is it financially? You don't know how you're going to make it. Is it your health and you just don't know that you're going to get through? Maybe the health of somebody that you love and you just don't know how they can get through. And you're just overwhelmed and scared and fearful and terrified all at the same time. Where are you drowning? What is distracting you today from Jesus? You know, I mean, you know he's there. You maybe thought a prayer, but, but just you get so, we get so, we're so burdened by all the storm raging around us. What is that storm that has distracted you from Jesus? If that's where you are today, please hear me what I'm about to say. If that's, who you, if that's where you found yourself today, it's not because you're bad. It's not because you're bad. It's because you're human. It's because you're human. Every single one of us, every one of us, gets distracted, and our faith gets distracted by storms that come into our lives. It happens to all of us. Even the people of the greatest faith you know get distracted by the storms and feel like they're drowning sometimes. Even you, Pastor Walters? <laughs> I'm, oh, I'm, yes, of course. Yes, especially me. I said, Don't look at me. Look at Peter. That's a person of real faith, not me. Look at Peter. He was the one that got out of the boat. He still found himself sinking in the water. 
Even the people who really are the people of greatest faith at moments of our lives, we get our eyes off the Lord. We get so overwhelmed by our circumstances. They seem so big. The wind is so loud. The waves are so big. The noise, the noise is so there that we feel like we're sinking and we feel like we're going to drown. It's human. And if that's where you are today, I hear you. You've, we've either been there, are there, or will be there at some point in life. It's why we need a Savior. Yes, a Savior to pay for our sins, to pay for our, the sin that brings forth death and restores to relationship with God so we can live forever in heaven someday. Yes, we need a Savior for that, but we need a Savior for everything. We need our God to be there for every part of our lives because it's so easy in life. It's so easy in life to get distracted. I mean, let's be honest, the wind's loud. Sometimes God is very quiet. Sometimes our Savior's just standing there quietly, but the wind is howling. The waves are crashing. And you kind of notice the noise. But here's what I want to I warn us today from the place of humility and having been there myself so many times. I want to warn us all today. The things that first distract us will eventually drown us. The things that first distract us will eventually drown us. If we let them, those things that distract our eyes off of our, of our Savior, those things that pull our attention off and weaken our faith because they're so loud and noisy and clamoring and consuming to our thoughts and our time, if we're not careful, those things will eventually drown us. We've got to be careful. And isn't that the real fear? These are the real fears. We're telling spooky Bible stories. But, but most of us, our real fears are something different than ghosts. Like, seriously, most of the adults in this room, I know there are some younger people, most of the adults and even the, te the teens in this room, our biggest fears are probably not seeing a ghost on Cedar Lake tonight. Right? That's probably not what we're scared of. What terrifies us is probably that family relationship or that situation that came into our life or that loved one that's suffering or that hardship that came into our path. You know, it's like when you're little and you have a bad dream. I don't know if any of you dream. I'm a pretty vivid dreamer. Not every night, but many times I have dreams. When I was a kid, what was a scary dream for me as a little boy was a monster chasing me. As a boy, I remember like Michael Myers from Halloween. would chase, you know, And in my dreams, I could run from him and he's just walking. I'm running, he's walking, but he's catching up to me in my dream. Like I, the harder I run, I'm like running through mud or something. He's just walking. That's a scary dream when you're a kid. You know, I'm an adult now. I haven't dreamt dreams like that for a long time. You know what scary dreams for me are? That something happens to one of my kids. Or that of the responsibilities I have in life, I, can't, I, can't, I don't measure up and I can't fulfill them. I let people down. I do something wrong. I drop the ball. Someone I care about. You know what I'm saying? I mean, let's be honest. The, dream, the things that terrify us as we get older are different than the things that terrify us as we're younger. So we can talk about a demon-possessed man and ghosts on the water and next week's very scary event. But the truth is most of us today, the things that are scariest to you right now are something completely different. And if we're not careful, they'll distract us from our faith in God. They'll overwhelm us. They'll be so loud and noisy and big that they consume us until they drown us. I would recommend we do what Peter did. You call out to Jesus. Because the storm fights for our attention. 
Its greatest desire is to turn our eyes off the one who calms the storm. But I want you to remember this today. I want to put it on the screen because I want you to remember this today when you need it most. And that is this. The one who called you out of the boat can keep you above the water. If we can believe today that our God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. Any place we find ourselves as his followers, he can sustain us. You see, yeah, I, this storm is raging. I don't know what's going to happen. There, no one said peace be still at this point. The storm was still raging. But the one who calls you out of the boat can keep you above the water. And today, somewhere, someone needs to believe that on a personal soul level, that God can keep you above the waves. Let's finish the story in Matthew 14, verse 32. When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Great timing, by the way. Couldn't have done that first, huh, Peter? Couldn't ask that question first. They climbed back into the boat and the wind stopped. Nice. Verse 33, then the disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. It's kind of funny. I'm not, I, we're no better. We'll laugh at them so we can laugh at ourselves. But it's kind of funny how the disciples had these moments over and over again. Like the first storm, peace be still. Whoa, it's like you really are the son of God. They go on the land, he casts out evil spirits. Whoa, you really are the son of God. Then he feeds the 5,000. Whoa, you really are the son of God. Then in the middle of the storm, ah, he calms us. Whoa, you really are the son of God. Hey, it's funny to read, but it's funny because we see it in ourselves, don't we? How many times in my life has God come through? Have I had those moments in my life where God showed himself to me to be bigger than my circumstances? And I had one of those, aha, my God is so big, so strong, and so mighty moments. And then sometime later, I forgot about it. Sometime later, I doubted. Sometime later, I got overwhelmed and distracted and lost my focus. And then once again, God came through and I said, oh yeah, he really is that big. He really is God. He really is in control. And then another time I forgot, I got distracted along the way. And guess what? Oh yeah, he really is who he said he was. And maybe, just maybe, just maybe along our life, somewhere along our journey, maybe what we can try to do is what we, we 2,000 years later kind of grin and chastise the disciples about for not doing. Maybe what somewhere along the lines, what we can do is we can somewhere start to believe the God who's brought me through all the other things I've gone through and kept me from going under can be trusted here too. And he's shown me that he is who he said he was before. I'm not gonna forget it today. The storms can tend to make us forget Jesus. When we turn to him and he comes through, we remember once again. I want to encourage you today, if you are going through a storm, right in the middle of the waves, right in the middle of the wind of your personal storm, I want to ask you today to remember right now, not afterwards, but right now in the storm, that he is there. Pass the noise. Listen through the storm for his reassurance. As he says to you, don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Someone here today listening online or in person, you need to close your eyes for a moment right now. And you just need to listen to the voice of your Savior. Say the words to you. Don't be 
afraid. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am right here. Sometimes when we go to pray, and we say, I don't even know what to pray. I don't even know what to say to God in prayer. That's okay. Sometimes you just need to be still and know that he is God. Sometimes you just need to get alone in prayer, and there ain't no words to say, but you need to be quiet and listen to the voice of your Savior tell you, don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Because he is. Because he is. And I hope that today, somewhere along the lines, that would comfort you and strengthen you in your storm.